Open your Bibles, please, uh, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're going to read there as we go through this book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 2. We'll be looking at seven churches over the next weeks in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then continue through beyond. And I want to ask something of you in the year 2023. Would you consider tithing to the church budget in the year 2023? The budget is the means by which we do the ministry and mission of our church. It's entirely dependent upon people giving in our congregation, and I'm going to ask you to join me in that. You can give the receptacles that we have here at the, in the uh, vestibules, of course, or you can do it online. And if you do it online, you can even do recurring giving. You'll never miss then if you do recurring giving. And uh, man, I'm, I'm grateful that we can participate in the mission God has for us, the ministries God has for us here at our church. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read beginning with verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 7. The Bible says, write to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, let's look at this great passage as Jesus speaks to the church, to the church in Ephesus, and we'll see seven different churches he speaks to. And it's not just for the church at Ephesus. He gives it to us. It's for our church. It's for our day. It's for our lives. God wants us to learn the lessons that he was teaching this church long ago. And so Jesus speaks to them. And I want to, there's a term that used to be used long ago that some of you may remember hearing. We used to sometimes use this term, backslidden. And we meant by that, there was a time when you were closer to God than you are now. But you're backslidden, we would say. And I want us to see, as we look at the church at Ephesus, something of what God is teaching us about that danger, about the danger of drifting from God or running from God or turning from God. And so let's go to the text. I want to note three principles. And how about if you take notes this year? Let's, let's write down three different principles this passage is teaching us that apply to us, help us to understand what God's saying to us. And principle number one is this, Jesus commends right practices. Jesus commends right practices. That is, Jesus cares about what we do. He's always cared about what we do. And he speaks to the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church or the messenger of the church, perhaps speaking specifically to the pastors and leaders, but certainly the spiritual aspect of the leadership of the church. And Jesus, who holds the church in his hand, speaks to us and he says this. He says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You've found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. So let's note three ways Jesus commends this church at Ephesus and ways he might commend us today. The first is in the area of hard work. He said in verse 2, I know your works and I know your labor. So apparently the church at Ephesus was a church that 
was willing to use their gifts and talents for God's glory. They were a church that would roll up their sleeves when it was necessary and do what needed to be done. They were a church that served well, that worked hard, that recognized God had blessed them in order to be a blessing, not just to have them. That God had gifted them so that they could use those gifts in their service. That God would even use their past or their pain or their problems or their difficulties as a means by which they would help others who face those same sorts of things. And so this church was willing to work hard and serve the Lord well. They saw that the faith is not just about what I get, but what I give. Not just what's in it for me, but what can I do for others. And the church at Ephesus was willing to work hard. And I appreciate that about the church at Ephesus. In fact, Jesus himself did. He commended them for that. And may I say there are many in our church who work hard for the kingdom of God, who use their gifts and talents for God's glory, who serve the Lord faithfully. There have been people this day, this morning, and every week for that matter, and all kinds of occasions who serve the Lord with our children and preschoolers. I'm so thankful for probably many of you who serve uh, on occasion. You serve, sometimes you'll help out with the preschoolers or the children. I love that we can teach the youngest the songs of faith, the stories of faith, the we can help them to, in a safe environment, learn that there's a God who cares about them and, and who loves them and has a plan for their life. I am very thankful for the legacy teachers we have, the ones who teach all year long, week by week by week, in some cases for years or in a few cases decades of serving, teaching children or preschoolers. And I just tell you, sometimes I forget to say thank you, but I'm not going to forget this day. Thank you for serving and for caring, and for loving little boys and girls, and pointing them to Jesus, and caring for their families, and God bless you. May your tribe increase. But more than that, the Lord thanks you. The Lord is aware of what you do. He knows that you serve. He knows that you give. He knows that you care. Some of you are serving in volunteers as volunteers in some ways that are behind the scenes where hardly anyone ever notices unless you're not there or unless you, you know, miss your post for some reason. They, hardly anyone says thank you or notices, but the Lord notices. And we are thankful for you. And we're grateful for people who work hard. And in a generation that really sees life as what's in it for me, and even sees church as what's in it for me, I'm thankful for people who say, I'm going to give and not just think about myself. I'm going to use my talents for others. I'm going to use my gifts for others. I'm going to use my uh, talents, my spiritual gifts that God gives me to think of others and not just myself. And the Lord knows that. He commends you for that. Notice he commends them as well for discernment. In verse 2, Jesus said, I know your works and your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. That, that is, this is a church that discerned right from wrong. They knew there were some things that were right, some things that were wrong, some things that are good and some things that are bad. He says in verse 2, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you found them to be liars. That is, they went back to the word of God and said, does what this, does, is this teaching matching God's word? They used discernment. Is what these so-called apostles, is what they say matching what the Lord himself has taught us? They used discernment. In verse 6, we see them using discernment with a group called the Nicolaitans. We know very little about them. But the Bible says in verse 6, you do have this, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Nicolaitans were apparently involved in some sort of immoral behavior, and God commended them for their discernment. 
they had what I, really two areas of discernment. Moral discernment. They couldn't tolerate evil. They recognized right from wrong. And theological discernment. They tested and matched it to God's word. They found out what the Lord said. They went to the Bible to find out what God has to say. And God has given us his word for this very reason. It's one of the reasons he gives us his word so that we can know the truth. And never has a generation needed discernment like this generation. Our culture is wrong on many things. Our culture is wrong on morality. May I say we need discernment. Even many Christians, even many churches are wrong on areas of morality and understanding discernment. Our culture is wrong on gender. Our culture says gender is uh, something you decide. Or it, Can I just tell you, it's not even... Gender is not even assigned at birth. God knit you, the Bible says, in his mother's womb, in your mother's womb, in your mother's womb. God made you the gender that he made you for a reason. And may I say respectfully and kindly and lovingly, he did that for a reason. And God teaches us this truth. Our culture is confused about issues of sexual morality and sexuality. And God speaks to us clearly in his word. He does it because he loves us, by the way. We're not defined by our sins or our past or our problems, but God calls us to right behavior. God always calls sin, sin. He always, he loves us too much not to. And he tells us that out of our love, he's going to tell us the truth. He's going to call us to right action. And our generation needs moral discernment. We live in an age that almost says, whatever you think or feel or want, that's great. And God said, no. There are some things that are good and some things that are bad and some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. And he loves us so much that he calls sin, sin. And he, te he teaches us the truth. And so not, not only do, does our culture, not only are they wrong about morality, but they're wrong theologically. Our culture, if it says anything about God at all, which often it just ignores God or says there is no God, it only can see God as love. And God is love, but he's also holy. God is love and God is holy. That is who God is always been and who he will always be god is truth that is god tells us the truth because it sets us free god tells us the truth because we need it god calls us to do what is right and avoid what is wrong that is the nature of who god is and our generation so needs discernment and the church at ephesus was commended by god because they saw that truth in a culture that was going the wrong way the church at Ephesus was standing for what is right. And may I say, that's the call of God on our generation to stand in, out of love, in kindness, but to stand for truth and love because God himself does. And then God commends them for perseverance. Notice in verse 2, it, Jesus said, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. That is, you don't quit easily. Or skip to verse 3. Jesus said, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name. If I've ever made you think that following Jesus is just always easy and man, I, I, I wanna uh, set the record straight. Sometimes God's way is the hard way. Sometimes it's uphill and sometimes it's the more lonely path, but it's always right. And this church at Ephesus endured hardship for the sake of the name of the Lord. They had not grown weary. They stayed at it even though it was difficult. And there are churches across the world today who are serving in some hard places, some hard places, hard times. And they are serving faithfully 
in cultures and climates that are very against the message of the gospel. Maybe we're seeing some of the early stages of that, of course, in our own generation, but there are places in the world where it's very difficult. They've, they face great difficulties, and yet they're standing true to God's word in the middle of a culture that, that hates the idea of God's word. And I'm thankful for churches like that who persevere and who do hard things, for Christians who are willing to sacrifice. There are some who are serving the Lord in some hard places and some hard times, People who are serving in some very lonely places when it comes to faith. Feeling very alone in faith. Perhaps some of you, very alone in your job or your school, but you're serving the Lord faithfully. Or people who are serving the Lord even though uh, they're doing so with, in poverty. And it's one thing to say, I'll serve the Lord when, as long as he blesses me financially. But I see people who serve the Lord even though they have very few of the things of the world. Or I see people who are serving the Lord faithfully through cancer and who recognize that it's a thousand times deeper of faith that serves the Lord through those kinds of moments than just serves the Lord in the good times only. And Jesus commended the church for perseverance. And I want to say to our church, I am so thankful for people who work hard, who care deeply about others, people who show discernment, who teach the truth faithfully, who persevere through difficulties and endure hardship, who are willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. For these things, things Jesus commends us. And he knows. And maybe no one else knows what you're doing for the Lord. Maybe no one else sees it. Maybe no one else has said thank you, but the Lord himself does. And there's a second thing I want you to see. Jesus I said commends right actions, but secondly, Jesus condemns lost passion. Would you write that down? Jesus condemns lost passion. Now notice the Bible talks about all this list of great things in the church, and you would think that would be the end, and Jesus would say, listen, great job, guys. You have served well, period. But after saying, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people that you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You've found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name and you've not grown weary. But, he says in verse 4, despite that, notice this, I have this against you. How could Jesus have anything against a church like this? They were active. They worked hard. They were serving well. They had discernment. They persevered through difficult times. And yet Jesus said, I have this against you. Well, what is it? He says it in verse 4. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Church, though I'm commending you for the right actions, Jesus is saying I'm condemning you for the lost passion. You've abandoned the love you had at first. He's saying you can do the right things without the right love. Still everything okay on the outside, but something missing on the inside. You still work hard. You still show discernment. You still persevere. You still have right theology and right actions. But there's something missing, the passion for God. He's saying love can grow cold and distant. That though there was one time when you loved the Lord deeply, when you cared deeply about Him, there can come a, a drifting from God and a lessening of true Commitment of faith. 
and coldness and distance. I'll just tell you, church, this is the this is the great danger for those of us who have been active in church for a long time. It's the great danger. Years ago, before I came here, which has been a, a long, long time now, I was pastoring a church in Texas. And there was a couple in the church named Carl and Louise. I knew them from church. Eventually, I became their neighbor. In fact, they were my landlord. They lived next door to me, and I, we rented our small little house from them right next door. I got to know Carl and Louise well. And Carl and Louise were invariably kind to us, but they could not say a peaceable word to each other. Have you ever seen a couple like this? They were probably in their late 70s by the time we met them, on into their 80s, been married for many, many, many decades, but they just fought all the time. Kind to us. They'd see us and just just so sweet, talk so sweetly to the kids, and then they talk to each other, they snap and yell and fuss. I told you. Oh, my goodness. And I couldn't help but notice when I came, it was only 19 people my first Sunday at the church, I couldn't help but notice that they did not sit together at church. Carl sat always at my right, and Louise always sat at the left. There were, you, you just couldn't help but notice this. They didn't even come to church at the same time. He came early, she came late. I would find out later they slept in separate bedrooms. They, had, uh, they ate their meals separately, cooked them on their own. So one time, um, this, by this time we were living as their neighbors, and so we had gotten to know them pretty well. And Carl had been sick and in and out of the hospital many, many times and was back at home. And so I saw Louise out in the yard, and I said to her, I said, Louise, how's Carl doing? And she said... I talked to him last week, and he seemed to be doing better. And I said, you talked to him last week? Is he, is he back in the hospital? You just haven't been able to visit him? She said, no, 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 no. He's back in his bedroom. I just haven't talked to him since last week. Since last week. I got to know them very, very well. And I found out more of their story. Their story had been different in the early days. In the early days, when Carl and Louise were young, they met in Tennessee. Um, the father of Louise was a farmer, and Carl started working for this farmer. And he saw the farmer's daughter, and he was very interested. And he began to get to know her better. And he started coming over at night to play checkers with her dad, and he would just get a chance to kind of see Louise in, the, in so doing. And they were going to church together, and the church would sometimes have church picnics, and that was a great thing. They could sit by each other and talk to each other. And eventually that love began to blossom. And he made intentions known. They began to court in those days. He, he finally got up the courage to go talk to her father and ask him for her hand in marriage. And she was so excited to say yes to his marriage proposal. And they got married and moved off to Texas to start life together. And they were so excited and so delighted. And some decades later... How's Carl doing, Louise? Well, I talked to him last week, and he seemed to be doing better. Something like that can happen spiritually as well. And there's a time when we can't come to know Christ as Savior, and we appreciate the message of grace so deeply that Christ would love us and die on the cross in our place, and we respond 
with our lives and we say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and we mean it, and then comes a day when we begin that slow drift from God so that the day comes when we hardly remember the last time we prayed or read his word or cared deeply about spiritual things, though we're still the same on the outside, maybe even still very religious. There's a coldness so that we would say, if we were honest, about God. I talked to him last week, and he seemed to be doing okay. I'll just tell you, that's the danger for those of you like me who have known Christ for some time. It's the danger that we will grow cold in our faith, that we'll just go through the motions on the outside, that God will have our hands and our feet, but he doesn't really have any longer our hearts. There's, there's a coldness. Can you feel it in your soul? Dare we say that word, backslidden? A time when we were closer to God than we are now? A time when our faith was more, more passionately responding to the things of God? And we can still go through the motions without the heart. And Jesus commended this church for their good works, but he condemned them for their lost passion. There's a third thing I want you to note with me. Would you write this down? Jesus counsels course correction. So he's going to say to the church at Ephesus, I have something against you, but he doesn't just tell them that and leave them. He tells them what to do. And there are three words that help us to understand what to do. And I would just encourage, you won't be on the screen, just, this will just be extra credit for you. Would you just write these three words in your notes? Just write each of these words. The first word I'd like you to write down is the word remember. Just write that under this point. The, the Lord says in verse 5, remember then how far you've fallen. Remember then how far you've fallen. Vicki and I, last week um, was 41 years of consecutive years of marriage for us, 41 consecutive years of marriage. And we were remembering back to those days when we would, we dated, we started dating in high school. And uh, then the long separation time when I was in college and she was back home and we remember waiting until 11 o'clock at night in the days of land phones, and the price would get cheaper at 11 o'clock so we could talk longer if we waited till 11 o'clock to make the call. And we would just, we couldn't wait to see each other again. We remember the excitement of getting married before family and friends and following God, uh, following God's surprising call to vocational ministry and moving off to Texas to start seminary. We remembered all those moments together we remember that because there's a value in remembering the the if we want today what we have there's a value in remembering where we were and spiritually that is true for us remember the bible says remember then how far you've fallen do you remember the time when you committed to god do you remember the time you gave your life to christ do you remember the time when god stirred your spirit god used some event do you remember the time maybe when you Recognize that you were a sinner and you responded and trusted Christ as Savior? Do you remember when you publicly responded in baptism? Or do you remember that youth camp where God really got a hold of your heart? Or maybe you remember some church service where it was as though God was just speaking right to you? Do you remember that time when you said, yes, God, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth? On this very date in 1956, before I was born, 1956, on this very date, four missionaries were martyred in the jungles of Ecuador. And in 1956, it still mattered to our culture that missionaries had been killed. And it made headlines in the newspapers and the magazines in those days. Those, that, 
that was a big part of our communication. And magazines cover on the front page, put pictures of those missionaries and told the amazing story of them sacrificing for the gospel message and going to these difficult places and doing these hard things and reaching people who had never, who had never heard the name of Jesus a single time in their life. They marveled that these men would work so hard and sacrifice so much. One of those missionaries was a man named Jim Elliott. And before he died, he wrote some words that would live long past, long past his death. He wrote this. It went something like this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Do you remember a time when something like that resonated with your heart? And you said, God, there are things that are bigger than the puny little dreams I chase. Do you remember a time when you said yes to the Lord and I'm going to go your way? Do you remember responding to the, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you have for me? I'll be the witness you want me to be at my work or my school. I'll serve in the ways you want me to serve. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. The Lord counsels us to remember. There's something powerful about remembering those moments when God stirred our spirit and when God moved our hearts. And I want to ask you to remember. If you're going to come back to the Lord, I want you to remember. Number The second word I want you to write down is the word repent. Would you write that word down? It's a Bible term. Repent is often used in the Bible. Verse 5 says, remember then how far you've fallen. Repent, the Bible says. And the Lord says it again in verse 5. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus speaks often of repentance. And I want you to know that repentance is more than feeling sorry for something. It's more than feeling sorry for something. You could feel sorry about something and not repent. You might feel sorry about some action that you're involved in or something that you've done, but not change. Repentance is where, certainly involves feeling sorry. We're sorry when we repent. We're sorry that we have done what is wrong. But repentance is where we change the behavior, where we say, God, what I did was wrong, and I want to turn from that. I want to gain some accountability. I want to be honest with you. I want to change my behavior. I want to change the activity. I want to repent. You cannot come to Christ without repentance. That is, you can't come to know him as Savior without turning from sin. You might not fully understand all of the, all of the depths of the gospel and salvation. You may not fully understand how terrible sin is, how much it robs and steals and hurts us, how damaging it is. You may not fully understand how deeply God's love affects us, the greatness of his grace, how much he sacrificed us. But you cannot come to Christ without turning from sin. We turn from sin so that we come to Christ. And I want you to know that even as believers, there are times where God just convicts us of our need to change our behavior, to change our attitudes, or to change our actions, and to say yes to him. I'm going to turn from this. I'm going to recognize that you say this is not for me, and I'm going to change to what you want me to do. I'm going to turn from this and to you. And there's a power to it. There's a power to it. Remember and repent. There's a third word I want you to write down. Write down the word return. Return. 
The Bible says, remember then how far you've fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. He gives an otherwise in verse 5. You'll remove, I'll remove the lampstand. And then he says, there's another reason, a blessing in this. In verse 7, he says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We'll ask God to do that through all seven churches. To the one who conquers, he says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He's saying, I've got a better way for you. Return, because what I have for you is so much better than what you want for you. I've got good news for you. God loves for us to return. God wants us to return. I don't fully understand why, but God loves for prodigals to come back home. And if that's you, God's waiting. God's able to forgive. God longs for you to return. And he gives us this message because he wants us. It's not just for the church at Ephesus long ago, but for this church. It's not just for those believers long ago. It's for us, for you. Remember, repent, and return. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Just bow your head where you are. And if you'll just close your eyes. And for a, for a moment, I, I just want to say a word to you, Christian. Would you just stay focused for a moment, Christian? As I spoke about being backslidden, did God sort of let that resonate in your heart? As I spoke about the danger of abandoning, abandoning your first love, did God sort of put a prick in your conscience and a stirring in your soul? And if that's you, I want to ask you to do these three things right where you are this morning. Remember. Do you remember that time you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember when you said, I'll follow you, Jesus? Do you remember how God worked in your life in, the, in days gone by? Repent. Would you say, Lord, I'm not going to justify sin or ignore it. I'm going to turn from it. And return. Lord, you call me back into right relationship with you. And for some reason, you do love prodigals to come home. And this prodigal, this day, is coming home. Some of you have never trusted Christ as Savior. And God brought you to this moment and this place to remind you that he loves you. He has a purpose for your life. And you can be saved today. Would you write where you are today? Recognize that you're a sinner? Will you turn from that sin? Will you place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you? Receive him as your savior today. He'll save you. He loves you. He cares about you. You matter to him. Father, I thank you for this powerful passage in your word that you've used in our lives to remind us of things that matter most. Lord, I'm praying today many of us will come back to our first love that will not just go through the motions on the outside, but we'll, we'll follow you. That will not just give you our hands and our feet, but our hearts 
that will love you like you love us, that you'll give us a passion for you, and then also a passion for the things you want us to do, and apply it to our lives, use it in our lives, and help us to say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.